As you can see in the title, the largest asset managers in the world are all in Bitcoin and you are bearish. That's not the whole story, though. They're not just all in Bitcoin. They're all in crypto, all in the future of blockchain technology, and certainly all in Web3, at least some of them. While the Bitcoin spot ETF has understandably stolen the show over the past few days, especially with the fake news from Cointelegraph that we discussed ad nauseum yesterday with both James Seyfert and Eric Balchunas from Bloomberg. If you didn't watch that one, you need to go back and watch it. Absolutely epic. But we've been focusing solely on Bitcoin, but that's because we're in a crypto winter and people are just talking about Web3 and all the potential there less. But that's not true of every institution. I've got one of my absolute favorite guests and one of yours, uh, based on the comments in the, in the past, Sandy Call from Franklin Templeton here to discuss all of that, to discuss how Franklin Templeton is viewing the future of this, not only with their Bitcoin spot ETF uh, proposal, which we won't talk about because we talked about it ad nauseum, but with everything else that they're doing and that they're building in this space. Guys, this is going to be absolutely amazing. We're about to talk institutional adoption. Let's go. Let's go. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and go ahead and hit that like button. I say the same thing every time. I don't know why we do that, but it's just become a part of the part of the program and habitual. As I said, guys, we talked the Bitcoin spot ETF to death. We've seen more news around it. Obviously, Fidelity and others, ARC before, now updating their their applications to get in line with the seemingly new needs of the SEC answering the questions. There was news about Invesco and Galaxy today. Everyone's in line for a Bitcoin spot ETF. We know that. Let's leave it there. Again, I'm much more interested at this point in talking about all of the other things in crypto that seemingly have taken a backseat, but probably will actually be driving true adoption in the future. And I've got Sandy from Franklin Templeton here to discuss it. Sandy, it's so nice to see you again. Thank you again for uh, giving us your time because I know it's very valuable right now. <laughs> well, thank you, Scott. It's my pleasure to be here. I love doing this podcast. I, I heard a rumor that you're writing a 120-page, we call that a book. We call that a book where I'm from. But uh, can I call it a manifesto, a paper? Basically, uh, well, why don't you just tell us what it's about? Yeah, so this is based on a survey that we've done. We've spoke to 83 different firms around the world, um, really in every aspect of financial services. So we talked to asset owners like pension funds, sovereign wealth funds, corporates, insurance companies, endowments and foundations, family offices. We spoke to intermediaries like private banks, wealth advisors, fund of funds, industry consultants. We spoke to other asset managers, hedge funds, private asset firms, and we spoke to a whole lot of fintech and crypto firms as well. Uh, in fact, our interviews covered more than 45 trillion assets under management. And what we did is we pulled all of those findings together, Scott, to come up with a, a hypothesis on where the world is going. Um, and we're really looking at where, what is the future of investment and wealth management. And Web3 plays a huge role in that. 
So that's more all-encompassing, obviously, not just specific to crypto or Web3. I have, obviously, the first, I guess, iteration here or the summary on the verge of transformation, the state of investment and wealth management in 2023, 2024. I was obviously reading through the sort of the hot takes here. I got down to number eight and saw a very large focus here on Web3 social network and social capital investing. Can you just give us the broad strokes, I guess, having spoken to all these people, as you said, 45 trillion under management collectively, where does Web3 fit into this picture for all of them, but then also for Franklin Templeton, I guess, specifically? Yeah. So one of the most interesting findings we had in the entire set of interviews for the survey was this emerging idea that today's investment and wealth management industry has been designed by and for the baby boomers. And that when you're thinking about the needs of future generations, that this industry really isn't taking into consideration many of the behavioral and psychological changes that mark what has happened with the whole uh, advancements in technology, with the destabilizing events that many of these generations went through at key points uh, in their early career and in their uh, ability to build wealth. And the biggest thing that they're not taking uh, account for is that these generations are much more reliant on living out their social identities via online channels. Right, and that these online channels are very important uh, to engage these types of individuals. And that when you think about where their investment interest is moving, their investment interest is really focused much more uh, on the digital assets uh, and NFTs. Right, and when you think about traditional stocks and bonds, I mean, there was an amazing study from the uh, Bank of America from their private bank that said 75% of individuals aged 21 to 42 thought it was impossible to actually get outsized uh, returns in stocks and bonds above average wow. returns. So you're really seeing this shift towards thinking about new models, tech-driven models, and the tech-driven nature of Web3 and the trustless nature where technology and code plays the role of, that many intermediaries played in the past, that's very appealing to these younger generations. And it's something that we need to consider and bring into the investment and wealth management space. So you said you spoke to effectively 83 different uh, people, open-ended interviews. I, you probably don't have the exact number, but what would you say, how many of them had literally no understanding of Web3 or crypto or even had never heard of it. I can't imagine that all 83 of them had an opinion on Web3 or that being the future. I would imagine that some of them were completely dismissive or just unaware. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot that were uh, unaware, right? I mean, we're talking some conservative firms in that mix. Uh, and there were a lot that were very dismissive, right? And I think that that to me was more interesting that People seem to think that this was a phase, uh, a, a fad that we've kind of moved past and that AI had replaced blockchain and crypto and that that was the new thing. Um, and that kind of flies in the face of a lot of the reality of what you're seeing on the ground. I mean, right now, what you're really seeing more than anything, Scott, is that you know the crypto technologies are, are being exported out of just the crypto realm and they're actually re- architecting the entire financial market infrastructure. I mean, we really are seeing such progress in Europe, in Asia, in the United Arab Emirates. These are areas, Brazil, these are areas where they're really rethinking how markets can work and how investments work 
And we could see some major changes coming that will bring the real world investing much more into alignment with what we're seeing in crypto, where you can have assets commingled in wallets and really start to use these assets interchangeably. So I think it's a really exciting time. Uh, and, you know, you always probably have this skepticism and doubt right before people always think it's time to see that trend reaccelerate. In the past few months, that seems to be the emerging narrative, real world assets and tokenization. Of course, you and I have talked about this endlessly. And a lot of people have been talking about this even in the past cycle as one of the narratives. But that seems to really be coming to the forefront and dominating, in my opinion. I mean, you even see BlackRock settling tokenized uh, money market funds with uh, Barclays on JP Morgan, Onyx. This is not science fiction. This isn't the Jetsons anymore, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm, this is it's it's literally happening in front of us. And I think, in my opinion, it's just prices are down and we're in that part of the market where there's just less excitement about things that if they happened in a different market would be huge news and extremely exciting. Absolutely. And, and just consider this, right? The European Union is rolling out a EU-wide digital wallet this quarter, right? So they're already well on the way uh, and they're going to be announcing their plans for launching a digital euro potentially as early as 2028. So, I mean, we're really close to seeing the whole way that the world operates transform in a way that's going to bring it very much into alignment with what we've been talking about in crypto for years now. That's scary to me, obviously, the central bank digital currency as a crypto native person. But if done correctly, the amount of adoption that that could bring technologically and to the existing assets, I think, is huge, right? I guess as a glass half full person, distributing a digital wallet to every person on a continent, it's hard to be bearish on that, right? Yeah. So how does Franklin Templeton then actually capture this interest, right? If you're correct about this trend, if you're ahead of it, it's not just a boring Bitcoin spot ETF, which I know everybody's excited about. What kind of products can be built? What kind of, both for, I guess, business to business, like a JP Morgan Onyx, something like that, but also for your customers, for you to capture that next generation of investors who are really interested in this space? Absolutely. So, you know, I think the first thing to understand is that when you look at what's happening in the crypto domain, these protocols and the innovation that they're driving and the advances that they're creating, new models, you know, this is business value. Right. Take it away from whether it's in the crypto markets or whether it's in the traditional markets. This is crypto value. We saw a really fantastic report just a few weeks ago um, where they said that if you looked at Ethereum as a tech company, right, as opposed to being just a protocol, right, you thought of it as a tech company. It actually is in line with Meta and with Alphabet in terms of reaching 10 billion in revenues faster than almost every other tech company that we've traditionally associated with huge value in the past. So I think that one of the key things we're thinking about Franklin Templeton is we don't care if it's called a token, if it's called a stock, if it's called a bond, we think about what sector does it sit in? Where is it creating value? What companies or other protocols is it competing with? And if I want to capture future value, where do I want to be positioning today to capture those opportunities before I'm paying up when other people have already recognized the opportunities that are there. So we're thinking about, you know, where does the whole ecosystem come together 
What kind of portfolios can we build to deliver that? That's number one. Number two, what we're thinking about is that there is really, I think, tremendous potential to utilize the new wrappers that we're creating in the crypto space, particularly the NFT wrapper, where you can embed utilization rights and you can embed ownership rights in the asset token itself. Uh, We think that that is going to become really transformational for what we see in the future for investment portfolios, because there's such a hunger, part of this whole social investing trend, there's such a hunger for experiences along with my investments. My money needs to do more for me because money is tighter. Money is harder to come by. I have more demands. I can't push all this money to the side and let it accumulate for the next 40 years. I need to actually engage with my money. And so we think that the next uh, iteration of how investment and wealth management moves is towards this idea that I'm going to be able to have better living through investing and that my investment portfolio and what sits in it is going to be much more a reflection of me and who I am. And it's going to give me benefits and perks and rewards that help me to live my life day to day while I'm working and waiting to get that full benefit of the investment itself. I love that. Can we dig more specifically into some examples of what that could actually look like? I mean, we've all seen the early iterations of NFTs that can be viewed as a membership to some sort of club that accrue value and utility in the real world. But I haven't really thought about that through the lens of your quote unquote boring investment portfolio, adding actual real world value on top of the, you know, the gains that you get from, from price increasing. Absolutely. So here's a great simple example, right? Uh, My municipality is looking to raise money to build a new stadium. I purchase that municipal bond. I give them my money. I am therefore helping my municipality build that stadium. In exchange, I'm going to get uh, specialized owner parking at that stadium. I'm going to get discounts on tickets. Uh, I'm going to get first preference when new shows are coming in to buy my tickets ahead of other people because I'm actually an owner and I help to finance that stadium right? This is what I mean by making it experiential, right? It's a municipal bond. It's going to be paying out a certain interest rate, might have some tax uh, tax advantages with it, but it's also going to offer me things that are going to make my life much more interesting or easy to live. So it's sort of the Dow model that we've seen democratizing and obviously decentralizing, but from maybe a centralized authority like your local government. Yeah. Or, you know, look at Taylor Swift, right? How much money has Taylor Swift made this year between her I think four- it's $400 trillion, but I'm not yeah, sure like, on that. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, if she decided and she's so, you know, engaged with her fans, I mean, she could very easily decide in the future that she's going to, you know, share her royalty pool, 1% of her royalty pool with her fans. That simply would not have been possible in the past, Scott, without this type of tokenized wrapper and smart contract. No way could you ever have split a royalty pool across millions of people like that. But now with the technology, we're really opening up these options. And that's going to help us, I think, really redefine what it means to be engaged with your investment portfolio. Yeah. Obviously, the last cycle for NFTs was largely hype and profile pictures and cartoons and 10,000 collections. I think a lot of people have sort of laughed at that as a bubble. It feels like that was a necessary iteration or evolution 
to get us back to these real world use cases for NFTs that the boring people like us were talking about in 2018, 2019, and 2020. So I think that those showed us the early possibilities, but now it's time for this to mature and grow up and to see the real potential. And it sounds like you guys are thinking about that very deeply. Absolutely. And we're going to really be working our hardest to really figure out how can we deliver this into in portfolios for our clients uh, and in their portfolio, in, in their investments of the future. And you're seeing companies already pull this out of the crypto domain and put it into the real world. These digital uh, offerings that you've seen from companies like Nike uh, or companies and a lot of the fashion houses where you can have this NFT and redeem it for a physical item. That's the first step, I think, in people understanding the power of these wrappers. I think it's going to go much further than that. I think it's going to go much further as well. And you, you talk about Nike and Adidas and Louis Vuitton and Starbucks. I mean, these are the biggest companies in the world. And I think people have sort of laughed or been dismissive of the fact that they tried this. But I think they're just not cognizant of how long this takes to evolve and how much benefit there will be to the companies that have tested this early like this. And seemingly that's what Franklin Templeton is doing as well. But um, just because there's not a huge amount of interest in these right now doesn't mean that they're not building the base and infrastructure for it to be a huge part of their business in the future, right? Yeah. I mean, one of the most interesting uh, discussions we've had lately is how, if you think about where the internet was at this equivalent point in its development cycle, you know, very few people in the world were even aware of or using the internet. And even after the dot-com bubble, right, it's not like the internet disappeared, right? That's when we really started to see people that could make these ongoing business models embrace it. And that's when we really started to see the adoption surge. And, and we totally expect that same kind of trajectory in the crypto. Will Franklin Templeton have to build proprietary infrastructure for all of this? Will you have to have your own wallet? And will those assets have to be tokenized in some way by you? Or do you think that there will be a level of decentralization where per perhaps a number of institutions adopt the same wallet that was created by some private company or, or, or in another manner, or that these can be tokenized by some platform and then traded you know, via te Franklin Templeton? So the good news is right now we have already developed these platforms, right? We've already developed <clears throat> our own wallet because we needed this to participate to the degree we're already participating. I mean, don't forget, we're trading our tokenized government money market fund every day. And we're keeping those transaction records on the public blockchain and we're extending across blockchains. So this is something we're already needed to build our own infrastructure to enable. Uh, I do think that you're going to see a lot of interoperability. You're going to have all those solutions you just mentioned, Scott. You're going to have people with their proprietary solutions, people with uh, widely adopted solutions, people with uh, private solutions. You're going to have service offerings. This is going to be something that comes together very interoperably. Uh, and you're not going to have, I think, a forced standardization in line with the whole uh, idea of being decentralized. There will be lots of different options for how people and how regulated uh, people want to participate, right? Yeah, and I didn't even intend to, to do this, but I, this is something I've been looking at, rwa.xyz, which shows the tokenization of real-world assets and the market cap. And I was speaking with uh, Sid from Maple Finance last week, and we brought this up. 
And I did notice that right at the top there, Franklin Templeton, Benji Investments, $300 million market cap just for tokenized US treasuries, right? We're not talking about private credit or any of the other things, real estate, stable coins, which is all coming soon to this platform. But there you are, right at the top of tokenized treasuries. These are T-bills. Why tokenized treasuries? Obviously, people can go find a way to buy them via ETF or directly from the treasury. Well, what's the upside of tokenizing bonds and uh, T-bills? Well, for us, I mean, we started this as uh, really trying to understand the operational efficiencies of blockchain, right? We are our own transfer agent. We were keeping our own books and records on all of these different funds that Franklin Templeton runs as a platform. And we really wanted to see, can we save money by keeping these records on the blockchain? Can we reduce our operational costs? Uh, And we found, yes, indeed, we can. Uh, But what we also realized is that you know, this is a way to bring that idea of 24-7, 365 into a marketplace, right? We're getting to a point now where we're going to be able, as soon as we are allowed by regulators, to apply intraday credit, right? Intraday payments. So if you buy my money market fund for me in the middle of the trading day, we're going to be able to split the allocation of the interest in that day. Uh, Because it costs less to process it, the expense load on the fund is lower. So you get to keep more of the yield. Uh, And what you also realize is that using that asset as collateral is much easier, right? This is why that example that you talked about with BlackRock um, on the JP Morgan platform, uh, they're using that tokenization because it's better to move the collateral around that way. Now, they're untokenizing those shares uh, and taking them out of the ecosystem when the collateral is no longer needed. Uh, But you can keep that as a tokenized form and move that around much more easily. Uh, And that opens up lots more use cases for these money market funds as well. So it turns out that this technology actually is significantly faster and cheaper than what exists. So in my opinion, that means that no matter how hard anyone pushes back or fights against it or whatever narratives there are, as we've seen the evolution of technology in the past, it's always going to err towards faster and cheaper, right? And better. I mean, obviously, you talk about the collateral side is huge, obviously, but even just the fact that it's faster and cheaper. Yeah. And what we're really finding in operating across blockchains is that different blockchains offer different use cases for opportunities. Some are faster, some are cheaper, uh, some handle big transactions better, some handle small transactions better. So when you're actually operating in the space every day, you really start to understand the richness of the ecosystem and how many opportunities there are going to be to build out connections in many directions and create value for your business by being able to really direct your transactions to the blockchains that make the most sense for the transaction you're actually looking to execute. Right. I thought I saw your tokenized treasuries are with Stellar, correct? Well, we're on Stellar. Uh, we're on Polygon. We are coming out on additional blockchains. Uh, and this is something we see as something that you know should be propagated across the space. How large is the blockchain team at Franklin Templeton? How many people do you have working on this? Because what you just described does not seem easy. There's no uh, nowhere you can go look and say, what would be the best for a blockchain for a tokenized treasury, right? So you have to do this work. How large is the team over there? Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I think it's somewhere around, you know, 20 to 40 people in the digital asset unit. 
but what's really, I think, exciting is that, you know, we have some of the most creative, I think, and most imaginative technologists in the world really working. These are people that could easily be at any other crypto company, uh, but they see the advantage in hooking these worlds together. And I think that's why they're excited about being at Franklin Templeton. In your mind, what's the timeline where we really start to see this sort of make its way into the mainstream? Obviously, I think that crypto natives will continue to grow this at a, at a substantial rate, but it really happens when you know it goes completely mainstream, in my opinion. Well, I think that you know you're already starting to see, I think, stable coins emerge as the first big crossover use case that starts to really engage a broader set of participants. And then I think once you get this wallet rollout system in Europe, you're seeing a lot of progress now in Hong Kong and Singapore and the UAE. I think that you know within the next three years, those regions are going to really be bringing together crypto and tokenized real world assets and really operating interchangeably across those two domains. And that's when I think you really start to see it go mainstream. I mean, I'm fully convinced that by 2030, these whole discussions about whether crypto is here to stay or not, people are going to, that's going to disappear. As, as the head of our digital asset unit likes to say at Franklin Templeton, nobody has an internet division anymore. Right. Right. I was going to say it disappears when you don't know that it's there. Yeah. Right. I don't think about how my phone works. I don't think about how the internet works. I just use it. If we're not thinking about how these products are, you know, being transferred and what's happening in, in, in the pipes, that's when we've actually reached adoption. I, I, the fact that we're even talking about NFTs or crypto or which blockchain just to me screams that we're exceptionally early. Yeah. Well, I think that, look, there's advantages in being early because you can see what's coming, but then it's hard to stay patient, right? And so what I always caution people is don't lose your enthusiasm because the world hasn't caught up to what you see yet. Just realize that sometimes being a visionary is a lonely place. I would add to that, don't lose your uh, vision and, and belief just because the price is down. Because I think that that's more what happens is you get to this part of the cycle and because you're not, quote unquote, making money overnight or getting rich, you start to be dismissive of the technology and the ethos and the reason that you were here in the first place. Yeah. Don't give up. Lots, lots to come in this space. I know you got to go in a second, but I also wanted to share that you guys have been releasing this digital assets bulletin, which I think is is great. So basically, if you didn't believe that Franklin Templeton was all in here, you guys are writing about this on a weekly basis for your clients, for for everybody else. Can people check this out? And also, where will people be able to check out your 120 page plus manifesto when that comes out? <laughs> That'll be coming out hopefully in the next couple of weeks. And we do have a, a public website with this content. We're really happy and excited to share it. Um, we really want people to be understanding where the world is heading and why it's so important to be thinking about these technologies now. Um, so I don't have the uh, address in front of me, but we'll be sure to get it to you so you can share it with your viewers, Scott. Sure. Well, I, I find it really inspiring, as always, speaking with you. But the fact that you guys are so far ahead of the curve on the aspects of this industry that really matter, not just focusing on building the investment product or that spot ETF, with, which obviously you're in line for, but really using this stuff and being ahead of the curve in doing it. I think there's very few institutions that are that forward thinking. And I'm assuming you guys will also reap the benefits from that when this all comes comes to fruition. But thank you so much for everything you do. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Always a pleasure to be here. And when you have the passion, just hang on to it. 
Well, ping me when uh, ping me when the document comes out, and we'll read the entire 128 pages live for everyone. We can do like a seven-hour streaming marathon. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Maybe not. All right. Well, at least we can get the the hot takes. Thank you so much, Sandy. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Awesome. So it's nice to actually have a conversation about the promise of this industry and the things that we used to get to talk about before everybody got depressed and crypto went into winter and prices were down and we're in the negative part of the cycle and regulation. I think it's really important to expand your mind and remind yourself why you're here in the first place. For me, that happens with conversations like this, but it also happens every time I can get my butt out of the United States and go see what's happening in the rest of the world. Because you guys remember a month ago when I was in Singapore for Token 2049, which is the same experience I had last year. I came back with my eyes wide open, reinvigorated, all of the excitement that I had before because nobody was talking about SBF or Gary Gensler or the SEC or the crackdown. They were moving on with their lives as if there was no bear market. Their regulators were regulating. And whether you agreed with the legislation or the, or, or the regulation that was coming, at least you had clarity and knew exactly what you could do and you could move forward and build. And some of the places that Sandy mentioned, obviously like Singapore, the United Arab Emirates, even Europe, by the way, even Europe are so far ahead of what we're doing here. Um, and we're either going to catch up or we'll just be left behind as all this moves forward. But I'm very confident when you hear the names JP Morgan, Franklin Templeton, BlackRock, and fidelity that we're going to find a way to make this a really viable asset class and to utilize this technology in the United States as well. That's my diatribe for the moment. Now it's time to bring on Texas West Capital, Christopher Inks. Look at the market. Look at some charts. Man, we've had some wild days here, Chris. We've had some wild days on fake news. Exciting. What a time to be alive. Uh, I tell you what, you know, if you were sleeping before, that woke you up and, uh, Unfortunately, pretty quickly made you wish you would just uh, stayed asleep, right? Um, but, you know, I, I think I'd mentioned it last week. Uh, you know, for me, it went just a couple hundred dollars above our target. Uh, we, we were looking at this potentially as a, um, as a leading diagonal coming out of here. Uh, so we've got one, two, three, four, and then five. So I, I think that's potentially, I mean, it, there's the other possibility that maybe it's, it's a one, two, and then ABC for three, we'll get a four, and then we'll still get a five up here around uh, 31,400, pretty close to the swing high. But right now it does look like it's a one and a two pulling back. 50% gets you around 22,300 or so. 61A gets you there at around 26,715 or so. Uh, so those are the targets I'm looking for right now. Uh, but ultimately, you know, here we are, we're above the, uh, the EQ of the range here. Um, you know, again, just, Everything that we've been looking for, nothing changing, you know, bearish market structure broken on the break over here. Uh, and then we broke out even higher here. Um, the movement here is a classic, you know, ending to a, uh, a wedge, which gets you often a, a bit, you know, if it's a bullish uh, wedge here, right? It gets you a throw over of the wedge resistance and then a quick retracement right way, you know, right back down into the, uh, the wedge. So, I mean, you know, looking at it all, I can't see anything really right now to even really be concerned about um you know obviously as we talked about before if it breaks down it breaks down we've got targets to the downside but right now there's no reason to even be thinking about that at the moment i think how does this wick play into your thinking obviously the one from two days ago we know that price was already before that news broke it was sitting right around twenty eight thousand. it was already up four or five percent on the day right so we'd seen yeah. some uh nice price movement 
whether that was front running the uh, fake news that was coming or it was natural buying, who knows? Doesn't matter when you look at the chart, right? But does yeah. that huge move up and down concern you? Do you even consider that wick when you know that it happened on fake news like that? No, no. The reason for it, you know, whether it's fake news or whatever it is, it, it you know, at the end of the day, none of this, you know, people a lot of times try to go, okay, well, there's wash trading going on an exchange or whatever, and that affects the analysis. It really doesn't because at the end of the day, it's still buying and selling going on. Um, and so when we look at this wick here, all we're, all that's telling us is there was a lot of supply coming in here, which we would expect because we've got, um, so I'll show you here, you know, we've got all this kind of supply up in here that we hit, right? So we had supply over here. We had supply again over here. This is resistance. I mean, we should expect to get that, uh, you know, to get rejected that first time. But what happens is this takes out all or at least most of these orders that were sitting in this area. And so when we push up through it again, we shouldn't have any real issue uh, continuing to push up through it. So for clearing me, it just, it's clearing the way. Yeah, clearing the runways. Exactly. We said it at the exact same time. Some yeah. people see it as a bearish move, but if you're just taking out supply and you're already in a bullish trend, it's different. Now, if you, you know, if, if it uh, closed all the way down at 25 or something after all that, I'd be, be more uh, maybe concerned. Sing, yeah. singing a slightly different tune. I mean, I tend to agree with you here. Uh, I would be really, I'm still really interested to see if we can actually take out the highs of this, like that, that 31 level to me, it's going to be really interesting what happens if, and when we, we get to attack that again. Well, here's, if, if we, if we look at this, actually, uh, let me see, let me go out to the weekly here, probably a better picture. So if we actually take this out right up in here, right? Uh, what, what you can notice here is that we've got, let me kind of get this down here. So. I think you I think you might have even have tweeted it, man. We have this resistance support area right here. Yep. It comes all the way across. And so what we did is, you know, we hit it here. We hit it multiple weeks here. These are all weekly candles. Um, and so, you know, we've hit it multiple times here. The odds are if we get up there again, this has set the stage for the movement through that area. And like I've been saying, you know, if we get through that 32,000 area right here, 31,000, 32,000, um, there's little, you know, in the way of these large candle spreads. We've got a fair value gap up here at uh, 37,400. So the odds are likely that we'll get a pretty strong and, and decent run, maybe something like this right here, up through that 38, 40,000 area at least um, on that breakout. So, and you know, the fact we've been going sideways for seven months, again, the longer you go sideways, the bigger and stronger the breakout of the breakdown would be. Some people are suggesting maybe a head and shoulders right here. I can see it. I'm sure I can see it. Yeah, but until it doesn't look actually... altogether different than the 69 up there, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But what you people know, might it, not notice is how high we were above that MA when that happened, right? Right now, we're still really on the trend. It's it's different. Yeah, yeah, and and again, you know, another similar to what we had in this resistance support area right here, the significant uh, resistance support going across. You know, we had the same thing right here. So, it, you know, if you think about patterns like a head and shoulders. Often you're, you're going to have minimal support at the bottom. You have enough for the for the two bottoms, but then that's why it breaks down so hard usually afterward because you lose it and you got big candles to go down through, right? Which you know kind of we had over you know in this area here. Um, but you know again with this major support right here, support resistance area right here, uh, it, it basically it would it would suggest more of a base being built here before further rally. Um, Reaccumulation, so, re re right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, nothing going on there that until it actually breaks down. And it's not a head and shoulders until it actually breaks down, you know, before the, uh, the you know, the support yeah. there, the neckline. So, um, until fun, that fun idea, Fun idea to talk about. So, one of the narratives we're seeing here 
Bitcoin holds on to momentum after dress rehearsal for possible spot <laughs> ETF approval. But this topic, I mean, in the chart and out is actually interesting to me because I was actually sort of the opinion and I, my opinions are very loosely held, but I'm making predictions, by the way. But, you know, we were sitting around 25 and I said, listen, when BlackRock first applied for the ETF, we saw a move in a week from 25 to 31. Now we're back at 25. This was before we were obviously at 28. I was saying this at 25. I said, now if we get approved, I bet we just pop right back to 31. It's like we saw exactly what the move was going to be. Yeah. But we went from 28 to 30 here in minutes. And then the fact that it was fake news became very evident and we sold off, right? So narrative aside, I think it's clear that that would have kept going up if the uh, news had been real and we had seen it being widely reported and it had hit mainstream. So maybe I'm changing my opinion and I'm thinking what you're thinking here is that we're going like 35, 40 just on that news if it actually happens. But that that narrative here that this was a dress rehearsal for that, that this for that kind of starting to hold water for me. Yeah, you know, again, you know me, I don't I don't really uh yeah, you know, buy the whole news the thing or whatever, you yeah. know, again, you can often see that the trends are already in as, as we see it's already in, right? Um but uh, you know, if, if, if there was a catalyst, um, you know, that could be one, it doesn't have to be, but yeah, that, that would, you know, if it comes in, it seems to suggest that, you know, that it's really not priced in yet. And people are really kind of waiting to see. And so if it does pop, then people are jumping in kind of, as we did, I think we, we did what, like a billion dollars in liquidations on that rally or something like that. It, it, I mean, even before it was a couple hundred million, but even before that move, they were already getting liquidated and shorts yeah. were getting squeezed on that first 4%. And it was very spot driven and not so derivative driven. So it was real buying, you know, there's a differentiation there. I do want to uh, draw attention to something that happened last week, which is that you said you really like Dollar General. Yeah, I had the chart too. I was going to talk about that. That does really look good. I'm going to go buy some, which I did uh, just over a hundred bucks. And it took all of uh, a day for it to start going up. This was the next day. Yeah, Thursday. But holy crap, man. I bought it like 102. It's at 116. That was like a 15, it was a 10% move in the one day. Yep. So uh, I just got to, I got to come in here and let you take your credit. Look at that gap up. So listen, that was, yeah, it was Thursday. You were talking about it. Or Wednesday, you were talking about it right here, down Thursday, and then gapped up and climbing. So how'd you you find that one? I guess that's the question. I mean, look at that move. And this is something like catching a knife in a downtrend that hard is, is 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 a talent. Yeah, well, you know, and, and this is this is one of the things that I keep talking about, you know, whether they're with us or, you know, they're just listening to me in general um, in social media or whatever. Um, you know, it's this idea of understanding how to forecast, you know, and what do mar- what do bottoms and tops really look like? And, you know, how do you how do you increase the odds that you're potentially more likely going to get it than not? And, you know, there's never any guarantees, but. You know, the setup on this itself was great. You know, it was so oversold as we talked about. Um, everything was just, it was just set up. And and even though, you know, I gave us, you know, two possibilities either, you know, I said, well, we're going sideways here and I think we're going up. And if we do, you know, we're look here and then we'll look here kind of heading up. But I said, just in case, if we did break down, I'd look for a rally off that S1 pivot. But yeah, no, we, you know, again, as you see here, gapped up there uh, on Friday and just kind of kept on pushing up there. And the weekly just, I mean, the weekly's just starting. Uh, RSI hasn't even broken out of oversold yet. You can see all this volume down here um, at, at these lows here. You got a lot of big candles here. I mean, we've got a fair value gap up here at, what is that, 123.31? And then once we do that, we'll have this one up here at uh, 152.61. So on the weekly, those are some probably some great targets there. 
Um, but, you know, n- nothing straight up, straight down. And so, you know, we'll rally up a bit and we'll pull back a little bit and then, you know, we'll catch a bit and, and rally back up. And um, all people want to do, you know, go down to that daily and look for three-wave pullbacks, uh, you know, where you know, A, B, C kind of coming down and you break up through that second wave and you do that and go ahead and use that as your cue to probably go long there um, because that three-wave pullback suggests it's corrective and is going to continue on in the other direction. Um, yeah. You know, just don't put your stop losses right up the rear end of, of your trade. I mean, just you do that, you just size, size the position stopped. a little smaller and make your stop a little wider. It, it's so yeah. hard for people to do because they want to be all in everything. But you know, all in, hundred percent, you know, hundred times leverage. Uh, you know, position size is the killer, guys. It's the make or break. Uh, you know, but most traders come in and and you know they just kind of want to toss everything in there at once, and um, that's not proper risk management. And you'll see that you'll get th- those are the people usually. They get their stop losses hit, and then they go, oh, stop losses don't work. Well, no, you just don't know how to do it correctly yet. And that's okay. We all go through that when we first start, but it's not okay once you're told that that's what's going on. It's not okay to sit there and keep doing it, right? You got to make that Ellen Ellison didn't use stop losses. She didn't believe in them. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's still my favorite reason. That is, you know, I'll tell you, man, almost 30 years of doing this, that is the absolute single best uh, recorded reason I've ever seen, and I continue to use it this day, of why you should use stop losses. Eight, what, what they were like, something like, oh, what was it, one point two or two billion dollars in the hole uh, at one point? I mean, it was absolutely insane. Oh, you can't. Yeah, they, do they were that. losing that. They were losing that in some some days, and that was uh, mm-hmm. FTX customer funds. The, we they talked about the dr- fast enough. To, they weren't spending, you know, spending the funds fast enough. They had to lose it too, you know. That's right. You gotta, gotta lose it. Um, we talked about sort of the idea that that was a dress rehearsal for a Bitcoin spot ETF approval. I thought what else was interesting that we saw, obviously, when that happened, if we're talking about what could happen, is that we saw this is Bitcoin dominance, guys. I will tell you once again, I'm not charting Bitcoin dominance to figure out what's going to happen with altcoins. What's happening with altcoins tells us what's happening with Bitcoin dominance. So that that's just how I view it, right? I I can look at my portfolio and portfolio and tell you that Bitcoin dominance is going up. Right. Because all my alts are dropping. But when we take a look at this, you saw on that same move that Bitcoin rose, Bitcoin dominance absolutely flew. So, yeah, to me, I talked to Ben Cowan about this yesterday. A large part of that is the people that are already in this market FOMOing in and out of the narrative. Bitcoin spot ETF is going to be approved. I have no cash. I'm selling my alts into Bitcoin. Right. I mean, that, that's yeah, how this yeah. happens. It's that washing machine. But did this at all uh, hint or, or what we're seeing with Bitcoin dominance? Does this at all tell you, hey, maybe now is not the time for altcoins? Maybe it's one of those Bitcoin focused sort of moments in history. Yeah, I mean, generally, I mean, if you're talking about altcoin season, you know, what, what we historically think of altcoin season. Yeah. I think we need the move up in Bitcoin that, you know, that pop up through 32 rallying, you know, potentially into 40 or a little bit higher, whatever it happens to be there. Uh, I think we really need that to happen before. And I think that becomes maybe that final capitulation um, in alts in general. Now, you know, that said, we're talking about generalities here. Um, we're not talking about, uh, you Doesn't know, mean every, it's true to every all coin. To new right. yeah. 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 So, you know, just, just to make it clear for everybody else, but I mean, you know, this so far is following in with what, what I've been charting here. Um, I've got, you know, a wave five, five of three here, right around 54 and a quarter. Um, that might, you know, that's just based off the height here of wave four. So, you know, we could end up a little bit above it, a little bit below it even. Uh, but right now, still looking overall for that higher up uh, to go up. And, uh, you know, at this point, if we're reaching that, you know, just 58, 60 doesn't look, uh, you know, doesn't look impossible at all. So, 
Yeah, I, I, but I think as far as, a, as an all-out kind of all-season thing goes, I think we got to get that that big push up in, in uh, Bitcoin to kind of get everybody, okay, there. Now let's pull money out of Bitcoin and put it into alts now uh, because now we're kind of getting – Looking like maybe, maybe Bitcoin's going to continue. There's no more. There's no better. more money to be made on Bitcoin. We have to go further down the risk curve. We know how the mentality. Right, right, right. exactly, exactly. So then, so, what yeah, do you man. think? I, so then, I got to ask in that regard. What do you think of ETH? Obviously, it's been in a major downtrend uh, against Bitcoin. I mean, since you know, it seems like we kind of ha- are right at the bottom actually of this range, right? I mean, we're back to these sort of lows from 21. Right, May of 21. I mean, to me, this is a really key area that it's in right now. And we're about to go weekly oversold, which uh, you know, happens once every two or three years. So, yeah, no, uh, I, I th- think th- this, this kind of re- like maybe then you get that dominance push. This gets really pushed down into oversold. And that's where we kind of al- align with, with a big bounce. Like, I'm not thrilled yet, but this is starting to look like it could be an area for bottoming. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree. And I mean, if you look at that uh, that swing low previous there with the right wick, um, you know, it looks like five waves. I don't have the chart up there yet. Yeah, sure, I got <laughs> I'll it. Yep, very good. Yep. Uh, but yeah, it looks like it's five waves up um, from that swing low there. Right, yeah, right over right over in the bottom there, just a little bit further over. But that no. looks like five up. And so coming back, it's a deep pullback. But all you've really done is you filled in those large, um, those large gaps, those large, was that weekly candles there? Yeah. Um, and you've pulled back right into that support. And um, so, you know, if I'm looking at it there, uh, to me, it looks like if it's not bottom, it's pretty darn close. And and the odds are that that Ethereum is going to run with Bitcoin um, to some extent. Certainly like on I the said, dollar you know, pair, you know, maybe like slightly less, but yeah, uh, on yeah. the dollar. Or, or, yeah. Or, or it could even do a, a bit more because, it's, you know, it's Ethereum, yeah. it is what it is. But if we look at, uh, let me pull up G, uh, the uh, Ethereum Bitcoin chart here real quick. Uh, yeah, that was Ethereum Bitcoin right there. So, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so I've got uh, my chart here and, um, you know, I've got this kind of counting. And if we're actually looking sideways there, you know, we're looking at the range. Uh, the volume and price action looks looks really great here. Uh, you know, again, if we look at the, the volume spike here on this swing low, right? And then we look at the volume over here on the low, you can see that it's much, much lower here. We're making a higher low into support on much less volume. Usually that's indicative of a you know of of just Bottom no is. follow through, no market participation to push it lower. And um, as we can see here, we're just kind of at that seventy eight six retracement right now. So um, you know I'm looking for a potential reversal from this area. We, I could see us coming down here a bit further to the S one pivot on the weekly. That's right there around point zero five two four one or so. Uh, you know, and just kind of get us into this demand down in this wick here. But somewhere in this area, I'm looking for the likelihood of getting a um, a reversal here. And like I said, even if Bitcoin rallies there, you know, Ethereum itself, because there's a lot of interest in it. I think I saw somewhere that a third of it uh, is held in, in like just a few wallets, basically. I'm uh, sure. The Ethereum. <laughs> and so, I, you know, know it's just going to sit there, right? It's not getting spent. Um, and so retail kind of jumps in and, it, you know, less supply there. Yeah, same thing with the talk about with Bitcoin. Yeah, ETH, ETH supply on exchanges, I know for a fact, I saw somewhere this week was at historical lows by a long yeah. shot. But yeah, there's, yeah, there's, so not, I, there's know, not much of this stuff being traded or certainly to sell if there's any real demand or supply on either side. Right. And again, if we're looking at the volume there, I mean, it, you know, we're coming to the bottom of the range. It's a previous swing. I mean, it's it's just it's it's the classic setup for a strong rally back up. 
And so that's what I'm looking for. You know, no guarantees, of course, but that's exactly what I'm looking for. And if it does, then there's little to argue, with, you know, with the count that I have on there and the idea that we are going to rally up there, um, you know, well above 0.1, uh, you know, as it continues higher there. So I'm not, I'm not hating it. I'm not hating it. Might finally have its day coming up here soon. So you gave us Dollar General last week. You have any? I, I wasted like 20 minutes of your time asking my questions. What are you actually looking at right now? Um, you know, it's kind of a kind of an okay week. Uh, I don't think there's anything really uh, fantastic yeah, going on. We've got, anything. you know, again, we had the idea that um, the DXY has hit this target area here uh, as a flat. So looking forward to continue. You know, this is the weekly candle here, printed Doji up here at the resistance. Um, so. Uh, I'm looking forward to continue lower. Um, you know, gold and silver have been great. Uh, silver, we're still looking to get above that uh, triangle resistance at $24.05. and uh, $24 We can do that. You know, we're on our way to break out higher. Have you looked uh, at the gold, monthly on silver, by the way? I just what? happen to have had it. Have you looked at the monthly on silver? Look at the 50 MA there and this candle it's putting in on it. The 50 MA, that's, I've got to toss that's it in. You the got monthly, it? That's the monthly Oh, 50 yeah, look at that. Perfect. Putting in an incredible right now with 13 days left, of course, but incredible yeah. hammer with a huge green body. If that prints like that, man, I think that thing's going to fly. Yeah, I mean, you can see it's great support there previously with the drop and the rally back up yeah. as well, just yeah. right before it. Yeah. Um. So, man, yeah, I like that. Uh, it just kind of goes in with what we're looking at here. Um, gold, gold is already broken out above its triangle resistance right here. Uh, wave B, we just did that this morning. It's been an awesome rally here. Fibbo did great on the uh, on the uh, gold there. I know Fibbo had a great trade. Lucky, on he's over here w. in the comments. Gold, follow Chris, <laughs> hit the likes. Chris, show gold and silver, bro. Come on, Chris, can you hear me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, it really, really great trades uh, that he's had with that as well. Um, so but, you know, again, we've done this now. So, you know, I'm looking for a new all-time high uh, coming up here, guys. I don't see any reason not to. Uh, you know, the bigger picture, again, is the idea that we've got this. Uh, I don't think I have it written on here. But the idea, basically, this is larger three and four here. And then this is one and two of five heading up, right? Oh, that's going to be a big so move then. <laughs> we can get you up there around 27.50 and a half. Yeah, I, I'm seeing a lot of consensus. Peter Brandt was talking about it when we had him on Crypto Town Hall as well. And obviously it does align with sort of macro narratives. But if gold makes this new high at some point here, it should just absolutely fly in price discovery. Yeah, exactly. Again, sideways, man. You know, we've been sideways here since we made this, you know, back here in 20, um, since we made this, for, you know, this first all-time high area uh, after 2011, right? And so we've been going sideways now for, you know, what is this, three years now? Yeah. So, you know, again, the longer you go sideways, you know, you consolidate, you get, you get the sideways thing going on uh, in your range there, the stronger and further you're going to break out. And so we've got great setup, I think, on that as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's topped three times right around 2075. And if you're paying attention, I mean, this was 1800 bucks yeah. two weeks ago. Yeah, in 1958, this is gold. This isn't a, like a, some random illiquid altcoin, right? This is a huge move right now already. Exactly, exactly. And, um, you know, so I, I think, again, you know, people are going to continue to argue about things and whatnot. And uh, I, I think, you know, you got you got to there's two things, you know, one is, as I always say, you know, do you want to be profitable or do you want to be right? You know, uh, you know, we'd all would love to be right and profitable. But if you absolutely have to choose, which would you rather be? Unfortunately, for most people, it's an emotional thing and they'd rather be right. And we see this not just in trading, but in life. They argue till they're blue in the face. They ignore other contradictory evidence, right? 
Uh, but in trading, it's you know it's imperative that you'd rather be correct, which means you know you keep your your eyes open for new information. You know, I'm the guy who thought, okay, uh, you know, I, I we had that target at the you know at that all time high from 2011. We had that from back in 2018, um, but I thought we'd get a pullback. You know, like it'd be part of bigger uh, bigger part of a uh, 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 a flat correction. And, you know, then we started doing this sideways thing. And I said, no, okay, no, new information coming in. It does not look like that at all. Instead, it looks like the alternate we were looking at, which was three, four, we'll get a five. So, you know, you, you got to be willing to step up there and change your opinion on it uh, and get going there because otherwise you're going to get stuck, right? Um, trading is a game of losing. That's really what it is. We come in thinking it's a game of making profits. It really is a game of losing and because losses are inevitable. And so, the better you can learn how to lose, you know, the, the more correctly you can learn how to lose, you know, proper risk management at all, the more successful you're going to be. And um, so, you know, you have to ask yourself when you're trading here, are you trading not to lose? Or are you trading to win? Right. Because it is a game of losing, but people are adverse to losing money. So they're trading not to lose, which means, you know, they have a lot of emotional input in it and they have trouble allowing their you know, trades to run to their targets or allowing them to hit the stop losses and doing everything they should do as a trader. Um, so, but yeah, man, it's, it's great setups. I mean, honestly, I, I just, long-term, I think is, is just absolutely fantastic heading up here. I agree. Anything else uh, before I let you go? Um, let me see here. I, I think I might have a, uh, let me see here. I think Cass is looking pretty good here. Um, you know, this thing's been, you know, up and up and up for a while. Uh, locally here, we do have three waves back. So if we break out from here, if we go up here and break out above 0.0518, uh, we've got an initial target at 0.062, uh, and then if we can break on through that, we'll look up here at 0.09482 on cast there. Um, let me see here. Do I have anything else really? Ape, ape, ape is interesting. You know, we've kind of made fun of that for a long time, right? Look at this total. I mean, all, 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 all the way back to where that talk about a round trip. Man, painful round trip, right? If you bought up in here. Um but this is the weekly here. As you can see, we've got that great looking hammer candle here down at the bottom, uh, you know, uh, on support there. So a pin bar on support. Uh, we've got this bullish engulfing candle going right now. Uh, let me see. What's the monthly look like here? Uh, monthly's not really showing us much of anything. Monthly's looking all right here. We can see how this monthly course is. I think yeah. it's possible that we could be uh, bottom here. So right here, I would have a target up here toward this uh, 1.27 area. If we can break out through that. I think we look good to 1.675, um, you know, and then if we can break out through that, you know, continue to break up through there and through this 2.10 or so, uh, I think we've got a good potential rally up here to around uh, $3. So, you know, some potential on there. I don't think it happens overnight. I don't think it's going to be a quick, fast candle. But, you know, if, if – uh, Lord help you if you held that entire way, uh, hoping it would go up. It's just been an awful, awful, you know, round trip, like you said, and – it's like every every chart just, though, sadly. So that's yeah, what we yeah. get. So some potential on there, you know. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. I know we got to run now, approaching yeah. 10 o'clock. Guys, everybody, please follow Chris, TX West Capital on Twitter. You can go hang out in Discord with him and Fibbo Swanee, who apparently had an amazing gold call, if you guys didn't see there in the, <laughs> in the comments, and Chris talking about it. So I, I highly, highly, highly recommend that. Chris, man, thank you so much, as always. Guys, I will see you all back tomorrow and we'll see Chris see you in a week, man. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. I'll take care. Bye. That's dope.